Yep. Give me a nod yeah, when you're ready. Shooter's like ready. Stand by. Hey everyone, this is Matt Gunlock from the 3GIQ podcast. I'm joined here with my co-host Frank Gao, and we have two very special guests. Uh, those of you who have been in the shooting sports for a long time will know these two names, but it's Becky and Tim Yackley. They are awesome ambassadors to the sport. They're good friends. Um, their husband, Mark, I could spend hours on the phone with uh, just talking about guns and Marine Corps and shooting and competition all day. Uh, so we're going to bring them on here becky and tim on here and talk about their background their shooting history and the the latest competition they just got back from which was the ipsic world shoot so becky and tim if you could take turns uh starting with <laughs> becky and then going to tim uh kind of introduce yourselves and tell us uh everything about that you want the listeners to hear <laughs> um so thank you for having us on the show matt mm-hmm. and frank it's good to good to be on here um so yes, I'm Becky Yackley, and you know my husband, Mark, from Marine Corps uh, Reserve Action Shooting Team stuff. Uh, and yes, he could talk on the phone all day. <laughs> um, but anyhow, so Tim is my oldest son. There's three boys in our family. Um, so Mark and myself and the three boys, we all compete in three-gun USPSA, IPSC. Um, Little PRS. Yeah, some yeah. other stuff. Um, so, you know, it's funny because every so often I will talk to people and they'll say, like, we'll be talking about this sort of thing. Like, what is your history or your background? Or when did you start shooting? And I'll go into it. And they're like, I never knew that. I never knew that. And I think it, it kind of shows how people can only absorb so much information. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just be really quick and say, I started shooting in 1989 because my dad uh, gunsmithed for Krieger Barrels and oh, wow. we... We did uh, long uh, high power, so I shot service rifle. Um, I shot an M14 for four years, and I did Camp Perry and all that fun stuff. Then shot small bore and air rifle and air pistol in college. That's where I met Mark. Um, we did a lot of a lot of fun shooting college, but you know, small bore air rifle, air pistol. One of our friends, two of our friends, went to the Olympics for free pistol and pentathlon. So um, we've had a lot of different shooting disciplines in our background. And then as the kids got older, we were living out by Quantico and they did wrestling with the Marines at Quantico and they did swim team. And we would get up these ungodly early, early hours to go to swim, swim meets or wrestling meets. And you'd always have to work like you're doing concessions or you're helping um, run the timer. Yeah. Run timers or what whatnot. So you never really were with your family. Hmm. You, sometimes you didn't get to see your kids swim or wrestle. So you're like, we started questioning, why are we? getting up at these crazy hours and spending all day. And um, we just went back to shooting. So that was like 2011 that we all started shooting together. Yeah. And I I just got to say, did I hear the words high power and fun in the same sentence? 
It is fun <laughs> because I still know, like I still know my sight adjustments for two, three and 600 yards on an M14. And I think it's a good, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I'll, I'll go into that later, but I mean, it is fun. It is very good because you have to build up some fundamentals to be yep. proficient with accuracy and especially long range shooting and understanding a lot of the basics about, um, ballistics and and shooting positions and all those you know there's so much to learn so something that's static and a lot slower than what we do when we shoot long range it's a really good way to build up those fundamentals but anyhow i'll let tim yeah no so i'm timmy ackley you know they they had a whole lot of shooting experience even before i was born um i started off with 22s and squirrel hunting and stuff like that when i was under uh you know a bit younger and worked my way up to competition shooting around 2011. So I believe I was about 14 at the time and kind of started with three gun in 2012 and just took off from there. Um, we did our first world shoot in Italy in 2015 oh, wow. um, as part of the U.S. team. And we've been to, I guess this was our what, fourth? Fifth. Fifth world shoot, yeah. Fifth uh, since then. That's so, a, and then That's impressive it's it's a it's interesting i mean this is my this year the match we're talking about pistol world shoot this is my seventh international match um mm -hmm. so the experience in traveling with firearms out of the country is is pretty cool um i was laughing and looking at him i wanted to interrupt him when he said he started shooting squirrel hunting and stuff he got we bought him for his fourth birthday a little cricket 22 or no yeah. maybe that was it wasn't fourth, fourth but that was the bb gun okay it was a bb gun but mark was at state patrol academy in the summer of 2002 and that summer i basically would say here's eye protection he had like chemistry goggles and i'd be, just be like we can go outside you can shoot whatever you know soda can stack them up for hours and hours oh, that's and awesome it's another one of those things though that the fundamentals of sight alignment and trigger control and you, safety yeah and safety you can learn it with a bb gun no, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's kind of how I got started shooting whenever I was a young kid. BB gun in the backyard until I started getting myself in some trouble. But we're going <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, so, you know, we kind of covered some of it, but you two have been doing this for a long time, you know, and being the spouse and the son of a Marine who's also a cop, uh, this type of training is not only viewed as a sport, but also life or death for your family. Uh, can you elaborate on how the shooting sports have evolved, uh, for better or worse, uh, on the both competitor side for you guys as a family and on the manufacturer side uh, within the industry, since you guys are closely connected with the industry? Well, first, I'll, first I'd say in terms of Mark and the State Patrol, um, we when we first started shooting three gun in USPSA, we all were shooting Glocks because his gun for work is a Glock. And it really made sense for him just being more proficient with it, more accurate. And mm. um, just all of the things that you have to learn and incorporate into muscle memory and that you can do so quickly and automatically and then have more mental bandwidth available to, you know, run a stage plan or focus on that moving target or what's happening around you. Those all translate to things like law enforcement and military and having the experience with the firearm you're using to the point where you can manipulate it, use your safety, all that stuff's just automatic. And then you can focus on what's around you. So that was a big part of like us when we started uh, that we all shot blocks for that reason. So that like, did we ever have to use Mark's gun or does he, you know, just get more time, more time shooting. And a lot of police officers 
don't necessarily want to do that. I think they just don't know how fun it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you hear every so often people are like, you pay to shoot on your own time. Like, it's really fun. You should try it. Well, you know, I kind of look at it as like whenever I join the Marine Corps, you know, go into the rifle range, you know, you know, throughout my career, Oh, I got to go to the rifle range. This sucks. You know, they, you know, it, they don't make it into something that's fun. Whereas like, people don't realize outside of those constraints like whenever you're not being tested by some value that's going to control your pr- promotion or something like that it's right. it's something that you can just go out and have a lot of fun with well and that's probably why you have a had a um what did you say did you use the word high power and fun in the same sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you probably did rifle off the deck with a sling mm-hmm Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's a little bit of contortion and not very comfortable at all. Yeah. I'd agree. Um, yeah. I'll and and very easily anymore. <laughs> yes. But now you're seeing an evolution, right? You're mm-hmm. seeing, so you said, you kind of started talking about the evolution of what we've seen and um, Mark specifically, because he's been involved with the marksmanship symposium mm-hmm. so many years. I know that, I know that they would like to see the Marine Corps evolve and, how they train people and i think that uh what it what did uh gunny logan say once like the marine corps is a big ship and it's gonna take a long time to to have any effect on, on where it's going but mm. uh, you know and it's to see young time. marines hey sorry no and it, i think you were gonna kind of hit what i was gonna hit uh it has taken a long time to evolve uh you know for us to get rid of uh, bullseye pistol and see uspsa take take over that was a two and a half year transition but it occurred and then yeah. you know frank frank will tell you uh you know team is starting to introduce night shooting like uh nvg and white light shooting into the marine corps uh marine corps marksmanship competitions and marine corps championships and they're starting to go out and compete at night matches so, that's awesome yeah yeah yeah, no, I I could I could go on for hours just on the the importance of shooting competitions and being proficient with a firearm and all sorts of things like that. So I won't touch on it too much. Um, but it is very interesting for me to see our military in our military specifically, you know, change what they are doing based on how competitions are evolving. Um, like you were saying, the you know more night matches starting to occur, things like that. It's something that was quite rare 10 years ago um and they're becoming much more common yeah well well, i'd say one of the first ones didn't chad francis used to hold host a night match roughly around the same time as gen 3 gun or was that another place i forget there was that there was the crimson trace and surefire multi-gun they used um, to have that one out in uh it was bend oregon okay um but you know you're talking about like the industry evolving in that too and and I think this kind of ties into the Marine Corps and seeing the marksmanship doctrine evolve is that we see, you know, like optics on pistols and all that sort of stuff that's that's becoming um, accessible to people because the prices are dropping and, and technology is improving and people are finding better ways to do things. Uh, I think all of that plays a role. And it's really neat to see the access to those things and the fact that competitive shooters seem to be the ones like hey let's try this let's try that there's like you know there's always gear races right yep um but i think it's neat to see it drive different 
sectors of the firearms industry into into pushing what's what's there. We, uh, if you look at like early pistol optics, like we had some of the loophole Gilmores for yeah. for Blocky, and Doug Hainig still shoots one of those Gilmores because it's what he grew up shooting. Like when he was a fourteen year old kid, I think he still got like some of the same stuff, and he knows everything about him because he's worked in them so much. But for somebody who's not familiar with it, it was a very inexpensive optic. Mm-hmm. compared to what we have now um so it's neat to see that like it doesn't have to be super high tech sometimes it's just about being very proficient with it but having access to different things does does just because it's different drive change no absolutely no thank you yeah really cool getting to hear you guys backgrounds um but for as long as you guys have both been shooting uh is there one match that stands out to the both of you and where was it? Give us a little, little bit of background and why was that your favorite match? But uh, Becky, we'll start with you. Oh, <laughs> I was going to let him go first. So um, I would say that like, we've, so we've shot shotgun, rifle, we shot three gun, pistol. Um, but I think three gun in terms of like favorite matches, it would have to be a three gun match mm-hmm. and it would have to be a really hard, really difficult one that you're not going to see a lot of the same things that you'd see in other matches. So I'd say like the old task force dagger matches that Andy Horner ran, those were, some, yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, cause they were, they were insanely difficult. Like Hall of Skedco with 150 pounds in it and climb up a Conex and mm-hmm. shoot pistol off of it or, or rifle off of it. Like it was crazy stuff that you could never do anywhere else, but really fun. Yeah. Like you, it- you know, one of the stages is kind of almost like a whole compound they have set up where you don't have, it was more to the, the military training facility. I forget which one it was. Um, well, is it arena now? Or arena. Is that what it, it, yeah. Anyways, it's not very often you get to shoot from multiple shoot houses and different, um, just conex boxes arranged, jumping through windows, things like mm-hmm. that, shooting out, you know, everything from target up close to hundred plus yards. It's such a, dynamic match that a lot of matches either can't do due to their location and the the range facility or just that they aren't doing something that's crazy difficult yeah like um, there was a tower that you they'd always have a stage at this tower where you run up i mean like how how tall was that I right? it was like three, four, three four or four yeah like three or four it was it was tall and, and by the time you just ran up it you're winded and then you're going to shoot maybe rifle down low and rifle out far and you might have shot a whole shotgun and pistol array down below before you mm. ran up so it was really it was really unique um very challenging and a lot of people were happy to just finish the stages so yeah mm. i i'd have to say there has been a bit of an evolution of a change in dynamic of some of those really hard matches like i've never shot a task force dagger uh you know mark talks about it all the time but like you know a good example of another another match that you're never going to see again um, is Blue Ridge three gun championship from whenever it was at uh, Rock Castle shooting center. Like that was, that just happened to be one of the most perfect facilities for what they were accomplishing out there. And they, you know, they had a slack line, they had a golf cart stage. They, they introduced different elements, you know, going up to a rooftop and shooting straight down into targets at the bathhouse stage, you know, like things that made you think it just wasn't burner, but it was things that made you think about how you had to shoot. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I'd even go into that. Like, I think the first year we shot, it was 20. Did we do, we didn't do Blue Ridge 2012, did we? No. 
2013. Um, so a lot of, you could even say like when they make you climb over big obstacles, like one of the years I shot it, it was like a, um, a wooden platform you had to climb over that was almost as tall as the bathhouse. Um, to get up on it. Yeah. I think so, that was one of the first years. Yeah. Shot so it. they had like, what, what they do though is that something as simple as, Hey, I'm going to sling my rifle while I climb over this, uh, this obstacle. In a normal three gun match, you might have it slung and just run 50 yards and then unsling it. You don't have to think about it. You can sling it however you want. If you're doing pistol, just put it in front. But when you start adding in these obstacles, you have to even think about, okay, what's an actual good way to sling a rifle on me and have it secured so it's not bouncing around and it takes that gaminess out of it. Oh, right. yeah. You know, I, I, I completely forgot about that. Like you had to, you, you bring up a really good point. You had to think about how do you sling, how do you unsling you know, how are you going to attack things certain ways, you know, right. to be economical with the use of your time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there were, you know, there were uh, things that Andy would set up in that match, like little tunnels with uh, pallets and you'd shoot shotgun through them, but your rifle slung. So then you do have to think about, you know, is your muzzle going to go in the dirt? Is it going to get anything in it? Are you going to have a safety issue? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that those are, those are matches that it would be really neat to see law enforcement and military and like yes there were the people with those backgrounds there but like th i think that's a really cool thing so for you mark all the other marines that shot those to take that back to the marine corps and say we can do something really fun and learn from it and teach these young people hey you got to think about all these things that are going on tertiary to what you're doing to make make you successful so no absolutely yeah <laughs> I miss, I, I missed a lot of those. I, I also like how some of the evolution has gone into to some of the matches. Some do it a lot better than others, but you know, those old matches, uh I don't I don't see them ever really coming back, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Well I think the there was for a few years Rock Hard Three Gun and then Blue Line Three Gun. I believe I shot that last year. Um, but I believe Bruce Davidson, I don't know if he did one this year or if I they wasn't did. able to get them. yeah no, didn't. um those were still some of the same flavor as uh andy's ma original matches um a little bit different obviously but I, I would really like to see something like that continue yeah um i i do think that the difficulties everyone's faced with obtaining ammo and reloading components the last couple of years that that has actually impacted who's doing what with matches and what people are are putting together because they know they might design something really fun, but people aren't going to have the ammo to do it. So, well, and, and you bring up a really good point. It's not just like ammo and, and, you know, reloading components, but it's the price of gas has gone up, you know, tra traveling has just increased exponentially. Uh, yeah. And then, and then another aspect, I think we've mentioned this in the past, but you know, there's a lot of people to think that they're uh that they're match directors and so you have a high uh, a larger influx of matches popping up and you know they think they're putting on major matches but they're i, I would honestly consider them major minors or, or local major matches stuff like yep. that so it's yeah. kind of you know people aren't traveling as much as they used to right and i think the the, the abundance it's... of matches is kind of watering down it's yeah. i'd say yeah it's been a lot of factors um you know from the 2012 to 2015 16 17 era and after that i mean we had so many different local matches and so many majors that 
it all grew too big and then collapsed back down um, due to a number of different factors. But yeah, it's a number of different major matches where you go, hey, you know, not every one of these stages is up to par on a major match level. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm going to honestly say, and I, I've, I've known you guys, I think I first met you guys back in 2016 at my first Blue Ridge match. And, you know, I got, that's when I really got first got close with uh, Mark and then Becky, you and I, uh, me, you and, and, and the kids, we kind of all met again at Bianchi Cup back in 2018. And, you know, we, we saw each other again at Blue Ridge the following year. And, you know, we've always kind of, every time we see each other, we're, we're always in contact. And so I think it's safe to say that you guys are probably one of the most successful uh, families in the shooting sports. And how has that journey been for your family? And what lessons have you guys learned as a family? Ooh, that's yeah. a big question. <laughs> I was like, keep it positive, Tim. Mm. Um, no, I mean, so we're, we're, I mean, we are super fortunate in what we get to do and what we get to share with people. Um, you know, in the world where everything is almost, almost everything is looked at through the lens of social media, it's really difficult that you don't want to necessarily put your complaints out there. And, um, you know, like if I, I, if I could show you the amount of grass work, you'd be like, I will never shoot a match or take my family to a match. Your kids, yeah. if you showed if you showed an average average teenager the amount of brass these guys have picked up, like we go to Bianchi, we stay till dark and pick brass. Even this year, just Andrew and I, we stay till dark and pick brass because you have to work to get to get something accomplished. I mean, there's there's a ton of work, and you know people see like somebody who's sponsored and they think like, oh, they just have everything given to them. You know what? You could give somebody all kinds of components, all kinds of firearms, but they have to go out and put in the work to perform. So there's a lot. I mean, I think yeah. it's helped us for sure develop good work ethic. Yeah, good work ethic. Um, knowing how to uh, deal with like a 24-hour car trip with five other people. Um, <laughs> no, um, I, I'm really fortunate and really thankful um, just the amount of time we get to spend together it's something where the whole family can participate in the sport and shoot. So when we were younger, it, you're all shooting against each other in a sense, like you're, you're shooting against yourself in every match, but you're all able to see what your scores are, compare each other. It's not like traditional sports where not everyone's going to play together. Um, that we're all able to go and do one thing. If the family can go out for one weekend, then we're all going out doing, doing some match. We all get to spend time together, hang out with friends, and without making it some kind of logistical nightmare where everyone's going off in one direction to a different sport. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is one thing that um, the shooting sports definitely have a uniqueness to them that you can go with your family, your friends. You know, it's doesn't. it's not going to be like, maybe everybody can't convince their wife to go or their husband to go or their kids to go, but you you can take the entire family. And I think for the most part, you're going to find that people running these events, people attending these events, they're happy to see families. They're welcoming the families, you know, few and far between, you're going to see the curmudgeons out there and we just ignore them. Um, but there have been some people that have been, you know, very instrumental in our, our son's lives 
who we have met through competition. Um, I think you guys, I, you might know Tabor Bright. I know the name. Okay, so Tabor used to work with FN. Now he's okay. at Ruger. But we met him at our very first um, big three-gun match, which was um, the FNH three-gun that was run out at Peacemaker in West Virginia. And Tabor was running a side match and we met him as we're walking stages and looking, you know, previewing stages. And he invited Andrew, who was like nine at the time, so. to come and help him on the side match. And, and other people we knew were like, no, it's cool. He can go do that. And we've become friends with him and like we stay in contact when we get down to Texas now, we stop and see him. Um, but if we had gone there as a family and then had, you know, like a negative experience, it would have been such a different story, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I think this is one thing I wish more people understood that when you see a family on the range or kids on the range, you know, like, all right, maybe the kid's not wearing eye pro. Maybe they're, they're doing this or that wrong. They don't know. Be nice, be polite, inform them, help them because you might find somebody who's going to be a lifelong participant in the shooting sports, you know, or you might turn somebody away and they never want to have anything to do with it. You know? Uh, it's a really Maybe. cool aspect I've seen with you yeah. guys. Like I remember a couple matches, mainly the one that's off the top of my head. I want to say it was the 2019 <clears throat> Blue Ridge. Um, you guys were always helping other people, you know, sharing gear, you know, like, hey, what do you need? What do you need? You know, in, in you guys weren't just like being segregated to just you and your family. You guys were being outward and helpful for everybody. And so like to have that type of dynamic it's i think it's not something that you just see with your family it's something you see in the sport overall people always <laughs> willing to help everybody yeah and i know that a lot of people will you know they'll make comparisons about three gun versus say uspsa or something and they'll say you know three gun you could have somebody show up and they're like oh yeah i really this looks so fun i wish i could try and people will throw gear and guns at you be like come on let's go let's do it it's fun mm -hmm. um whereas some other sports People might, you know, they might have their really fancy Parazzi shotgun. They might mm. not be so willing to be like, here, try it. Um, so it, it's one aspect of three gun competitions in particular that I'd say like it's very grassroots, like just mm -hmm. normal people that want to go and enjoy it. Um, and they're yeah. willing to share. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. My uh, the first three gun match I went out to was in SoCal. Uh, they were doing the range brief and they're like no green tip or no steel core and i was like hey what's steel core and he looks at my, my ammo he's like all your stuff is steel core bro you're gonna start you're gonna start like a a, a brush fire out here and they swapped out my rounds i, I had to pay for it obviously but uh someone was there mm -hmm. this was this was before the ammo shortages um, right but, right it was a little easier <laughs> yeah but it just goes to show like you're absolutely right even at that local match in socal it was still very much the case that people yeah. will not help me out um but no, that's a good, good example, though. You know, that's a good example of the experience you had. If you had had a different experience, if they're like, dude, you can't shoot. You're going to yeah. sit in your car today. Yeah. <laughs> that might have changed your perception of the yeah. community. Absolutely. Um, and if you're treated a certain way and you're welcomed with open arms, then you are more likely to perpetuate that same treatment for new shooters. I, I love having new shooters in my squad. Uh, I can tell if you are nervous. I can tell you don't know what you're doing, but it's okay. Like, I want you to keep coming out. I want to grow the community. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, seeing as you all shoot as a family, 
Um, how did you all establish like a training regimen? Um, how do you structure the dry fire versus the live fire? And then I know we're getting a little bit into the next subject, but I would love to hear about you guys' preparations for world shoot, seeing as you guys shoot a lot of other disciplines. Um, so Tim, we'll start with you this time. Yeah. So as far as training goes, we've got a range at our house. So we've got, we've got the property for it. So the training is much more free form than if we had to go and, you know, travel to a range, mm -hmm. um, really just whenever we have time, go out maybe an hour, hour, one day, two hours, the next day, um, dry fire mixed in whenever it's, it's, we do so many different things. Um, a lot of the time too, what we are focused on will depend on what event we have coming up. Mm -hmm. So for example, we shot that prairie fire, which was like a very bullseye style accuracy sort of match. And uh, everyone kind of stopped what they were doing for a little bit. And we spent like two weeks just kind of honing in on, on sight alignment and trigger control. Um, mm. Well, and then we use dots too. So like yeah. there's, I, I think that to, if you want to ask about the structure, the structure is like figure out what is the most important thing you need to focus on, you know, um, which is good life yeah, skills. Kind of life like, skills. It's, it's similar to, when you're starting out, you want to pick kind of what's the lowest hanging fruit. What do you know that you need to work on? If you just went to a, uh, a match and missed every single slug target, you need to work on your slugs for the next match. Um, if you were fumbling way too many loads, the next thing you need to be doing is shotgun loading. Um, and, and I think when we switch over for different disciplines, whether it's USPSA to three gun to PRS, there's a bit of, hey, I know I need to work on this for the next couple of weeks. Um, and you just keep cycling through that throughout the whole year. Yeah. In addition to just general practice, general shooting. And reloading. <laughs> and reloading. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, honestly, I think the, uh, the, the training regimen and like, you know, you asked about dry fire, we will, because we're in the car together, when we leave an event, we tend to, sometimes it's constructive criticism. Sometimes it borders on criticism. Mm. <laughs> um, like this one's not shy to say you need to work on this, um, but maybe you need to hear it just like that. You know, you can't sugarcoat it. Um, a lot of people in shooting sports, especially people who compete with family or friends will say, Hey, give them like five, 10 minutes, then you can say something to them. So that's always a, you know, let them, let them have their moment of, well, that was messed up. Because if your mom falls and hurts herself on a stage, <laughs> first thing you do is say, why did you do that? She's probably going to lose it. That's amazing. Same goes to your wife. If you say that to your wife, she's probably oh, going to lose it. <laughs> probably. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, how, how early did you guys start trading for World Shoot? So... The process for world shoot is that you have to shoot. Um, there's, there's four scores that they can pull scores from. And so you are going to shoot the discipline that you plan to shoot in, um, not just di division. So division, like yeah. we both shot standard. So for the two years before the world shoot, you're going to shoot limited nationals and IPSC nationals, or, IPSC nationals. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're going to, and then, you know, as many USPSA matches as you can really, because you want that experience because it's more that style versus three gun, mm -hmm. um, it's hit factor scoring. Right. So th the process is that you have those two qualifying years before a world shoot year. 
So part of your prep for it is obviously going to be attending the qualifying matches. And then, you know, in the process of doing that, figuring out where, where are my strengths, where are my weaknesses, what do I need to focus on? Yeah. So it's, it's not so much like, Hey, how, how early did you start out? Like technically two years before the match was supposed to go on. Um, but then the match got delayed from 2020 all the way to 2022. So it's, it was a bit difficult that we shifted to some different focusing more on other disciplines and other matches and then had to go, okay, now, as soon as I'm done with, I was, I had like a month after the Prairie fire match to switch back onto some world shoot, um, or I should say IPSC specific training. So it's, you keep it up as, as far out as you do it as far out as you can, um, compared to, or I should say the other matches you have going on are going to influence that. IPSC is much more accuracy focused too. like a lot of USPSA matches. You might not, um, you might see people shoot very few targets from a static position. They'll do everything they can moving IPSC. You're going to tend to have more times you're shooting static from positions versus on the move because Mm -hmm. it's hit factor. We had one stage. I think I put a video of this on my Instagram. They were the IPSC, like the turtle targets, but in Mm -hmm. half, and some of them were 25 yards away. I think almost 25 or they had like, they, they're half a, targets under a bridge target. and you have to shoot and you, you're, you're one A's like, that's your goal. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a different balance. Um, and then your movement too, because there are every day in an, uh, so a world shoots a level five IPSC. There's 30 stages. You shoot two short, two medium and a long every day for five minutes. Well, that, no, that was six, three. two short, two medium too long not too one long. anyhow uh, there's a mix yeah. <laughs> um, they, they keep it that way so that no if there's bad weather on one day everyone has shot the same approximate number of rounds that makes sense um, yeah so you try to say like hey if it's a 30 stage match there's x number of rounds each area has roughly the same number of rounds so yeah. they aren't just going to go out and design stages they're going to design stages and then figure out hey like each area that you're shooting that day has to be a approximately the same number of targets mm-hmm. number of rounds um, um but then so when you have these short courses they're they're very short like they might be six seconds short. they might be 10 like 10 rounds <clears throat> yeah so so uh well, your so your you... movement and everything being very very precise becomes more and more important mm-hmm. um i think shotgun it's... world shoot we had a stage that was an empty gun start you loaded your gun and you stepped in a stomp pad, which activated some throwers, and you shot like a few static, the thrower, a couple static, the thrower, you know, and it was very much like you had to watch. I mean, they had eight round stages at that. Yeah. So like you, so then you had to decide, do I load nine? Do I load eight? What do I do? Like, there's a lot of strategy to it too. So I'd, I'd say though, overall for IPSC, because there's so much more of a focus on accuracy, it's also easier to practice specifically for an IPSC or no, (laughs) it's easier to go between different disciplines. As long as you have much more of an accuracy based practice regimen, it's not as harsh switching over from other disciplines, if that makes sense. So in three gun, if you're out there shooting small pieces of steel at 25 yards, you're going to be right at home for an IPSC match. Whereas if I'm practicing, a lot more fast paper shooting on the like move two on paper positions. anywhere it doesn't matter if that's your if that's your comfort zone you're going to be out of it out of your comfort zone for ipsc mm-hmm. okay 
So it kind of leads into the next question. First, I want to ask, what exactly is the IPSC World Shoot? And you've kind of already answered the following question, which was, what was the process for qualifying for the World Shoot? And, you know, but there's a pistol world shoot, there's a shotgun world shoot, and then there's a rifle world shoot. Pistol right. world shoot has a structure on how to qualify for it. Um, do you foresee there being a structure in the future for the shotgun and and the rifle world shoot? Um, I'd say it really depends on USPSA leadership. Um, and do they, yeah, do they institute some sort of, so it's, it's difficult it, because right now they have the, the multi big multi-gun matches, multi-gun nationals. There used to be a few, and I don't, there might still be a couple of um, area multi-gun matches. Mm -hmm. Like Missouri used to have one. Um, but there is no, you know, USPSA is IPSC pistol, so to say. Yeah. There are no IPSC rifle matches or IPSC shotgun matches here in the States. Right. We have one we IPSC pistol match a year. We have IPSC nationals. That's it. You know, we don't have um, a whole plethora of matches to choose from to qualify for these. Really, the only one that's standardized and is the same is multi-gun nationals every year. I think that that also gets into why it's difficult, um, the selections for rifle and shotgun, because you could say like, well, hey, these matches X, Y, Z are going to count. Well, who's at those matches? Who are you competing against? Because you're, if your score is based on percent and division, et cetera, et cetera, what is the rule set? You know, is it a gamey rule set? Is it a, is it a hit factor rule set? Like, like the scoring and all of that plays a role in it. So it would be nice to see them have IPSC rifle and shotgun matches. It would mm -hmm. be really nice. To see I, I would happen. more say it would be, it would be interesting to just see them as a whole do them. Um, but right now it doesn't currently make a lot of sense for them to run a few matches specifically for, you know, the, what is it? Uh, I forget how many people went to rifle and shotgun world shoot respectively um, between, you know, the 30 to 50 people who are actually going to try and qualify for teams. It doesn't make a lot of sense logistically for them to hold, go, yeah, hold a to hold qualifier matches. matches just well, for that. And then, so when you ask about what is IPSC world shoot, so IPSC is international practical shooting confederation. Mm. Um, it, so like we have USPSA, we have three gun, we have like, yeah, like, yeah, right. So we have we have all these different matches, and for the most part, these other countries, it's IPSC. You know, yeah. they're IPSC uh, steel steel challenge type. Like, there's a little bit of that. In a other countries. Bit. but but it also is like very dependent on their own each country's laws. Right. So like, I, I want to go into Russia. Okay. Can I say that real quick? Sure. Or I was just going to go into you know IPSC is one of the the major discipline overseas. But that also is some countries just flat out do not compete in IPSC rifle because they can't own rifles in their entire country. Right. Mm -hmm. Or they can't own pistols. And I think like, um, so I was going to talk about Russia because when we went to rifle world shoot in Russia in 2017, um, you know, talking with the Russians, you realize that Russian citizens cannot own a pistol. Their club can own a pistol. So when they get a firearm, they start with a shotgun. And they have to show proficiency with it. And Australia is the same. To own a firearm, you have to use it in competition, use it in sport, and you have to submit your scores. So for, for Russia, it's you shoot shotgun, you show proficiency, you get whatever it is. I believe it's like three or five years. And then you could buy a rifle. Um, oh, wow. And so, 
Yes. So PCC is a big deal because some of these countries, civilians can't have nine mil because like that's a, a NATO round. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you get into all of these, the competition helping push firearms ownership and push firearm laws. Like, Hey, if mm-hmm. we're competing in this and we can use a PCC, why can't we own a pistol? Same ammunition. Um, so I know that there are countries that have petitioned for world shoots because it was a positive for them and their firearm laws. Um, we, <laughs> we shot a match. I don't know if I want to like say this match. Well, so for a couple years, the NRA was running Bianchi cup and the Bianchi cup has a huge international participation a level. Uh, and so one of the New Zealanders, she had one ladies and somebody didn't want to give an award for some reason or another. And, and everyone was like, Hey, she's going to go home to her country. She's kind of the poster child for firearm ownership. Give her the trophy, send her home with it, help them. Cause this is, this is what competition in these other countries does. So like for us, we can talk about like, you know, I know you had some questions for me about world shoot and, and the experience. Cause this one was it was a little rough. I got pretty sick. Um, so it's easy for me to be like, hold it only in places where you can drink the water, please. Um, <laughs> but, but then there are also these other, these other things that come into play. Like these countries are trying to improve firearm ownership for their citizens. So there's also that to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know question we were on <laughs> i just kind of went off no i think they, they they answered all of them didn't they Matt? yeah they did yeah um okay so getting to the actual like arriving at world shoot itself um so once you knew that you were going can you talk us a little bit through the logistics of planning to go to thailand with guns and then some of the stuff that actually happened we don't have to go too far into it but some of what actually happened when you were in thailand Yeah. So, um, traveling with firearms internationally is a logistical, uh, challenge. Um, I mean, and it's not unsolvable. It's not, it's, it's doable. You just have to pay really close attention to what you're required to do for the country you're going to, for the airline you're using to get there, um, for the event that you're going to. So I did a big blog post to help the people on the U S team this time. Um, put it on my website. It's just beckyackley.com. So I, I went like go really deep into a lot of stuff, but the biggest thing is that most international competitions, you're going to need the permit to have the firearm there. You're going to need the invitation letter that says you can go there with the firearm. You're going to need your import export form or a 4457. It's a customs and border patrol, which basically says uh, it's a certificate of personal effects taken abroad, which basically you're gonna go to the airport with your firearm to your customs border patrol office. And you're gonna say, these are my guns. Can you please note this on this form? And they stamp it and state it and all that. Um, So those are the biggest pieces that you need. Now, depending on where you're going, there might be more or less paperwork required. Then you're gonna have to go to your airline and you have to get permission, not just from like, I've got a flight in United. Well, do I connect anywhere? Do I connect in a different country that requires an additional permit? Do I connect with a different airline that requires additional permission? So every leg of your trip, every place you go to, you have to make sure that you have all the paperwork in place so that you're not gonna get say held up in 
what was the country? Uh, not us. About... Who are you thinking about, Rob? Um, was it Croatia? Croatia. Croatia. Yeah. We have uh, a friend who went to Croatia. Um, so <laughs> I wasn't going to say a name. Um, but no, so like knowing knowing what you can and can't do can save you from having any adventures that you didn't plan for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, it took more time to get all of the travel stuff and permits together than it did for me to load all the ammo for both us for the match, like all the brass prep, everything. I mean, it took upwards yeah. of 12 hours, at least wow. of solid work sitting on the phone. Going oh, yeah, through. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so you get into other things like, um, do you get travel insurance? Uh, and so traveling with firearms, I think it's something that people should understand more that it's not very expensive. I think the first time we ever did it was like $30 a person. And this time we might've paid a little more, but I also did a medical like rider. So um, I saw a post recently that where someone was talking about a U.S. citizen being in another country and having a really severe medical issue. And and they couldn't get life flighted back to the U.S. until a hospital was ready to accept them. And that all kind of depends on your insurance and whatnot. So if you're going out of the country and carrying firearms, one, for the fact that there's something valuable, extra insurance is a good plan. But mostly to me, it would be the medical that if you have something happen, like say you just got really sick, you don't want to be stuck somewhere unable to get home. So it's, it's probably worth it for the like 50 bucks it might cost you. But so there's all those pieces of paperwork on the logistics side of thing besides, you know, my guns, my ammo, are they packed properly? Um, every airline has different requirements and a lot of people, even people who have traveled internationally before do not know that you need to notify your airline. Um, some, maybe they've just squeaked through and never had anyone stop them. But if you leave the country with firearms, 99.9% of the time you have to get permission from that airline and you need to start that process. Like we, we bought our flights end of end of July, beginning of August. And we started it that day and we didn't have all the paperwork until the beginning of November. So, wow. Yeah. And it depends on your airline. Like I had an experience with um, flying through Amsterdam to the Czech Republic last year really easy. Everything worked out really nice. I got it all done on the computer. They emailed me my permission and my permit, not an issue, but most airlines aren't going to email you something. So you just really have to be diligent about making sure it's noted in your reservation mm-hmm. and that you have checked all the boxes and you, you know, a hundred percent that you're good to go because otherwise you might get to the airport and never leave. <laughs> wow. That that's, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of things I would never have considered. And, yeah. and you, you bring up, you know, shoot, being in the military, you know, I've never had to worry about the insurance piece. But now that I'm out of the military, you know, I still have medical coverage, but it's like, all right, that's another aspect that I'm going to have to think about as I, I travel the world and, you know, yeah, just a lot. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, are you going to, are you going to experience a problem? I mean, we've, since we've gone to Russia, every trip since 2017, I've done done insurance for it. And it seems like, oh, I'm probably not going to need this. But when we were sitting there at the airport in Thailand and we knew that our flight was boarding and we're getting texts saying our flight's boarding, I was really glad we had that insurance because if it came down to it, we'd have coverage for a hotel room. We'd have had coverage to help mm. us with our flight, all that stuff that's mm. beyond our control. So, yeah. 
So, okay, so you're on the ground in Thailand. So how was the overall structure of the match from the stages, the schedules, communication, uh, USPSA and IPSC leadership involvement, and even into the award ceremony? What was that all like? Um, yeah, so I guess I cover mostly the uh, stages. Um, the stages were very, very well done, very neat, um, clean stages. Um, they were very good. Like, visually, they, visually clean and themes. Um, yeah, they had themes. all the different yeah, themes. Yeah. They had really good props. The, so the, the, the shooting areas, even. It's not just, hey, let's lay some fault lines down. They raised them up about I think they used uh, double double height fault lines and filled the shooting area in with gravel. You know, oh, not wow. you know, which helps with the water. Like, and if this was the end of their rainy season, so mm -hmm. I think that seeing that preparation was was good. Um, you know, again, this is a stage I think I put on Instagram. It was like the the themes. All the stages in certain areas were based on food. In another area, it was all like Thai. Festivals. festivals yeah so the one that was like the water lily floating floating mm -hmm. flowers or lights or whatever um the plastic they had down i think at some point it had been blue like that it had been on the ground for a while which i wish i could have seen it when it was all pretty and blue um mm -hmm. but but the being on the ground for a while led people to question and i'll just leave it at that like you can deduce what i think what people were asking and wondering but that that it did appear some of the stages were on the ground for a while. Um, um, but but no, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun shooting the stages. They they had things that were difficult enough, but not so crazy. It wasn't like every single stage you're going, oh my gosh, like I just got to stay in the game and just keep fighting with this. There was at least some where you could go, hey, this one's going to be difficult and I really got to watch this. This other one, hey, like I just got to shoot it, shoot it solid. There's nothing crazy here. It's just about the execution. Yeah. Um, so the big difference, a lot of people might not know IPSC, you do not get to walk stages until it is your time for your squad in the match. So there's usually um, tape or a ribbon or a line, something, mm -hmm. and you cannot go forward to that. So you cannot be on the stage or even like right behind the fault lines. You've got to stay back. Mm -hmm. So you getting there and previewing, like watching people shoot is really important. Yeah. I'd say, so we had three, I believe it was three minutes for the entire match or was it four minutes? There were a couple long ones or four. They, they, I, anyways, um, 15 person squad. I got at most two walkthroughs. Um, the average or should say like 90% of the time I got one walkthrough through the stage. Yeah. Oh wow. And then I got whatever my time was when I was on deck, generally two walkthroughs. And so they're very when strict. I was on deck. So yeah. I had to have my plan set in one walkthrough yeah every single time so so if you attend an ipsc match like that level of a match that's what you're going to experience mm -hmm. um we shot austral asia in 2019 in the philippines and it's the same like it's a big match tons of people and you don't get to walk the stages you you have to have a plan so that when you when you're on there you know what you're doing already like that first walkthrough you have to go what's my you know little visual aid for coming up at this position where's my foot going i mean you have to go through and not take forever because everyone has to get through in the in the walkthrough time but say hey i've got one walkthrough i'm going to pay attention to every single thing that i do you know 
do that in one go and then come back and memorize it all. And now, okay, when I'm up in 20 minutes, I can go and execute. So that is one of the most difficult things I'd say shooting an IPSC match versus a USPSA match. No, that makes mm -hmm. sense. That, that's, that's a cool aspect because people, people tend to heavily rely on those walkthroughs uh, rather than just go out there and perform. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, uh, this match, when we've done rifle and shotgun, we've never had a U.S. competitor in the pre-match or at least nobody that videoed all their stages and shared them with the whole team. So Trevor oh. Potter, he a lot of USPSA, he shot the pre-match and he uploaded like first person video, like helmet or head, you know, camera, and then his stage videos. So for all 30 stages, everyone on the team was able to see that. Um, and that was a huge help. So a lot of people didn't rent a car that most people did not rent a car. They just had a driver or took a taxi to the range. Mm -hmm. So you were, you were kind of limited, like shotgun and rifle. We stayed on that range as long as we wanted, because we always had our own car. Well, except Russia, yeah. <laughs> that was its own story. Um, but you tended to have as much time as you wanted, you know, it was a little easier logistically. Uh, so this was really nice that some people and some people's flights got delayed. Matt Hopkins, I know he didn't get in until the morning he was going to shoot. Oh, wow. So he's able to look at those videos then and at least have an, a ballpark idea, like a pretty good idea of what you're going to do. Because um, a lot of times standing back behind where you're supposed to be and looking at the stage, you can guess what you think you're going to see from a position but it's nice to see that video, that first person video and really understand, all right, this is going to present itself. So you could really, and then plan your reloads so that when you do get your walkthrough time, you pretty much have the stage mostly dialed in. You're just going to fine tune it. No, oh, awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, thank you for that. Um, how, how did the scheduling go? I mean, so it's, it's 30 stages. And um, if I remember correctly, it's five days of shooting with one day off. Do I have that right? Yep, yep. So you should, we had our first day of the match off. So we basically didn't have a day off because yeah. the first day of the match, we're like, we're going to go watch our first couple days stages. Um, but yeah, you tend for this match was different than what we've experienced with rifle and shotgun because they had all of the U.S. shooters, except maybe one or two, were all in the same schedule. Mm -hmm. So everyone was shooting at the same time from our, from the U S yeah. um, I mean, not the same stages, but like same, like, you know, morning, afternoon, whatever the, the schedule was, it was. Yeah, no, I mean, everything ran on time for the most part. Um, sometimes we were done an hour ahead of schedule, which was nice. Yeah. Um, there weren't any huge delays, like at a, at your average match where you go, Hey, this one stage take is taken forever. And now we're a whole squad behind and it's just going to run right. late today. They're like, nope, we're running on time, 100%. It's good. Yeah, they had some issues our second day with scoring. Um, so IPSC, like, they don't use practice score. But I believe it's live, isn't it? Um, like, it's live or almost almost live. Well, because so, they wouldn't update it till the end of the day a lot. You wouldn't mm -hmm. see them on, on IPSC's, like, their scoring portal. Um, and they had the Wi-Fi go down a couple times. So that was a little, you know, it's like any match where you're, you're, you know, like, Hey, let me see Technology. where it's written. Up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. 
And the mass layout, the, the, the range was purpose built for this event. Uh, so it was kind of like a, a big U, a big horseshoe. So you got dropped off and you walked in and then there's this U of, of bays. So you there's know, like a whole row of bays on the left, on the right, in front of you. And then, and there then was, it looped around each side. Yeah. And yeah. then there was like an outer. So this is the, the upright. And then there was another, another layer like outside that. Mm -hmm. um so the Your food area the vendors, vendors all, all that. that was in the center so it was actually really nice in that regard because every so often somebody who's with someone in our squad would say hey i'm gonna go get water or i'm gonna go get something from this mm -hmm. they had a 7-eleven store yeah, on the like range. a double conix box like set up you know for an event kind of thing yeah huh. so oh, did, they have, did they have a lot of vendors out there they did um the vendors yeah yeah they usually mm -hmm. you, the vendor thing's pretty big um it's bigger than we see it in the U.S. at matches. And the food area, like when we did Australasia, that was super fun because there was all this food. Mm. Um, and this too, like he had some noodles and stuff he loved. Uh, the Every time we've gone to a country, I've tried to learn enough of the language that I can you know, like understand the numbers they're calling if they're not using English um, and just communicate basic things. So like Russia, it was really helpful. We both spoke enough Russian to order food and find things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so for Thailand, I'm watching these videos and they're, they're talking about like, how do you ask where a store is? And they kept saying 7-Eleven. I'm like, okay, I guess that's a comment. Like you're at a hotel, you need something. Maybe you'd go to 7-Eleven, but it's literally the store of Thailand. Like every city block, there is a 7-Eleven. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. And so that there was one on the range was equally it, it funny. Was, it, was it was pretty it's funny. just like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like when you go walk to your restaurant from your hotel, you're going to pass three 7-Elevens. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty awesome um with it being an international event and shooters speaking all manner of different languages how do you feel that communication from like the match director and the staff was handled um so it's it's always it's always interesting i mean like every every match has been its own experience you know mm. um some matches we've seen match directors for world shoots that are super um on social media and they put stuff out and like Russia, Andre Fyodorov was the match director and he was great. Like when, when we got to Russia, he waited in his car for like two hours at the range for us to all come lock our guns up wow. because we couldn't have them at the hotel, like super nice, super dedicated people. Um, we had a, like, I guess the only breakdown in communication I saw was we had shoot offs. He and I were both in the shoot off, but we didn't know because we didn't look online, but they also posted it really, really late. So we'd already gone to sleep and like packed stuff up, like, all right, we've got awards and we're done. Mm. Um, but they actually posted it really late, but the little group, the WhatsApp group where we were all communicating, they had put a photo up that said top eight. And so we were like, all right, well, we don't have to bother with this. But they changed, yeah. Uh, yeah, they anyways. changed it. So like, like little, you know, just little tiny things like that. Um, and I think, you know, the language thing, they're supposed to use English for all the range commands, and they do. Um, I think Russia was probably the only time we heard them counting sometimes in different. Yeah, yeah. but it's generally, it's, Americans are fortunate that kind of every other nation, their second language is generally English. So mm -hmm. we have it easy in that regard. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. So 
why is a match as big as the world shoot so important to the shooting sports? So I would say, do you want to answer? Well, want to... I'd say it's there's there's you a number of already, different reasons. You've that, already kind of hit some of it with like, you know, mm -hmm. the laws and trying to yeah. increase awareness and, and promote the shooting sports and firearms regulations within a country. Is there anything else that really uh, stands out? I believe this was the largest IPSC world shoot so far. And I forget if it's the largest. I mean, it, it was upwards of 2,000 people, right? Oh, well, I think 15... that, so I think there were 1,734 competitors, okay. I think, because I was writing an article about it. Um, but that, like, where I got that count from, was it correct? Um, I know that people kept saying, like, 2,000 competitors. I think there were people that didn't show up, you know, the entire COVID situation um, initially, just, just this past winter, um, January of this year, they were still saying you were going to need a vaccine in order to go. Hmm. And so, so many people were just like, I'm out. Wow. Um, and, and so there was, there was a lot of, uh, I like most of the British people we know, all the Brits said, no, um, there were a lot of people from the U S who didn't, didn't chose not to go. Like they could have gone, they chose not to. Um, so I think that everything that happened with delaying it, and the logistics some of you know it was really long like us getting home took 48 hours oh wow it was a long trip yeah yeah it was exhausting and i mean there were a number of people included who got really sick um and it wasn't like from the food like i was very careful with what i ate i only ate cooked stuff <laughs> i think i sent you matt the video of the raw squid people eating raw squid in the street like crazy yeah, stuff no. Nope, not nope. doing that. Nope. We did go to a sushi place that was really good, but it was very fresh and nobody mm -hmm. was, you know what I mean? Like it was good food. Yeah. Um, but no, as far as what's more important about it, it's it's the biggest, um, the biggest and one of the highest, sorry, for our realm of three gun USPSA. Practical IPC, shooting. Practical shooting. It's the biggest match and it's one of the most prestigious ones um, that it's, it's something that it takes a lot of work to get to, to be on one of the teams for it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. so honestly, with, with regards to that, that side of it, um, it's important because, you know, people, people will say things like, Oh, this is the Olympics of our shooting disciplines of, you know, mm -hmm. practical shooting. And do I think everybody is at Olympic level that goes to them? Not necessarily. However, I do think that people who participate at that level have been participating in the shooting sports for a long time and they've put in a lot of work and they do have a lot of skill mm -hmm. because it took skill just to get the slot to go there. Um, we had a lot of people at this event that really wanted to be there. Like I said, there were some people mm -hmm. who qualified for whatever reason they chose not to attend. That's, that's on them. But um, you'll hear some people kind of say like, oh, well, you know, they, the U.S. didn't send their A team or whatnot. You're like, no, they sent people who qualified, just the same as other people qualified. Um, and there were people who were really committed to being there mm -hmm. and committed to helping all of the team, all of the U.S. contingent um, perform well. And so that was, that was really nice to see that, um, mm -hmm. you know, you had people who weren't even shooting that were there helping 
you had people helping different teams with scoring. So verifying scoring was one thing that I found very frustrating because there were four, four of us US gals in one squad and you're the shooter and maybe this is the, the, the big stage, the long stage for the day. And there's targets down both sides and you can't get to all of them before they're even pasting them. And IPSC has the, the um, like in the rules, when they call hits like two alpha, your hands are up here, you know, alpha, Charlie, Charlie Delta, Mike's, whatever. Or was that two Mike? I just do two Mike. <laughs> um, but so there, there's this structured, like here are the calls for the targets and they're supposed to, to do those signals while they were doing like hand signals. And, mm. and so a lot of people were like, mm, are they seeing those? Are they communicating them correctly? So we ended up videoing one person would go down each side and we'd video the targets and what they're calling. And we would basically just say, count the Charlies and the deltas they're calling out and make sure when it's entered in the pad at the end, that whatever each person walked down the side and saw jives with what's put into the pad. So it was, it was not the way you'd want to go to a world shoot or like experience scoring in a world shoot, mm. you know, because sometimes they were pasting and before your delegate got there to look at them. Uh, and that was not, not the best way I feel. <laughs> so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you got to ask as we wrap this up, what's next for you and your family? Christmas, Christmas <laughs> sitting by the fire. Yeah. Um, Christmas. Um, immediately next, uh, kind of have a nice little night in as there's a snowstorm. Um, <laughs> but no, we've got shot show and then Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico uh, yeah, Caribbean open Puerto Rico is our, our first. Oh. Big hey, uh, Josh Cardenas is going to be going, he's going to be going with the team Da Vinci. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. We know some of those guys. We've seen them down there. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a good match. It's a really fun match. They yes. want to range. <laughs> Yeah, we uh a bunch of us. So our plan is to go in twenty twenty four. Uh, we do want to make it out there. I want to shoot Ipsic. I want I want to experience that. So yeah, yeah, excited. So what what they've done down there the last two years is kind of like a blend of IPSC and USPSA because they don't want people to go like, oh my gosh, you gotta like get different gear or or just be very worried. And I think it's also leading IPSC to consider. I want to say we heard this at World Street. Didn't they talk about um, like relaxing the whole behind the hip thing? Yeah, like, certain different requirements they have for. So like, like here it's single stack is the only division anymore in USPSA where it's got to be behind your hip, right? Is it just single stack? Um, does production have to? No, they, they, change, they change production. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, then it is. So I think there, that's what the, that's what it's like. I think, I think that's what I heard is that they're considering to make that change as well because it is, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's arbitrary to me. It, it is arbitrary. It's very hard to enforce that particular yeah. rule. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, so Caribbean Open, Kafia and her dad, they do a great, a great job. And they were last year, there were like huge things of paella uh, rewards Ooh. and like everyone has a beer, everyone drinks and has, has good food and they laugh and they dance and it's just fun. Ooh. It's a really fun group of people. I need to get overseas again. That's Puerto Rico. It's part of the U.S. Yeah, they, they're they're talking about make they're talking about making it the fifty first state right now. Whatever, it's still <laughs> it's still an island off the coast of the U.S. That's what and they it's used beautiful. To, okay, Matt. That's what they used to say about Hawaii. So yeah, that is true. <laughs> honestly, um, so we've gone two years. This will be our third year, 
And so Andrew and I, my, our youngest and I have been the ones that have gone. And last year I researched how to take everyone, you know, see some of the pretty beaches and stuff. And we had a really nice trip and it's affordable. It's not like mm. creepy. So you could take your family to a beautiful beach and not spend a ton of money. So, nice. Yeah. Cool. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there any, uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything you guys like to say? Thanks for um, having us on. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having us. Awesome. Well, no, we, we do appreciate this. We hope you guys uh, do well in this, in, in this snowstorm tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to give Mark a call. Just be like, Hey, stay safe. Don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he's got like, there's no one else in his, um his area tonight and tomorrow. So uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Might, might get home later tonight. Might get home in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, stay safe. Um, you know, looking forward to seeing what you guys accomplish in the future and looking forward to the next time we can all get together again. But yeah, for yeah. Sure. again, thank you for coming on to the listeners. We hope you enjoyed this. Let us know what you think and uh, let us know how we're doing. Have a good night.